Before we begin today's episode, I want to thank you for listening to this first season of Your Neighbor, a Priest. We've covered a lot of ground over the past many months, which has found us largely within the confines of a global pandemic that continues to dictate our lives. And even during that time, we have found pathways to discuss important topics ranging from social services in a community to Christian nationalism, geeks for Christ to creation care, and many, many more. This podcast will return with season two on the first Monday in February, 2021. For listening to Your Neighbor a Priest, a podcast featuring commentary and theological reflection on local news and events in Southwest Washington, and the larger themes that impact all of us as we wrestle with the challenges of life, and in particular American life in the 21st century. I'm Father Nick Mather, Rector of St. Stephen's Episcopal Church in Longview, Washington. I am your neighbor, and I am a priest, and I am very excited about today's topic, Advent, Christmas, and what the heck do I tell my kids about Santa Claus? Happy New Year! With the arrival of the season of Advent on Sunday, November 29th, 2020, we have begun a new liturgical year in the Church. The Episcopal Church is known as a liturgical church because we have a set form of prayer and structure to our worship that is steeped in the ancient history of our Christian tradition and connected to the ever-evolving practice of discernment that the Holy Spirit calls us to in our modern age. This label is perhaps a bit of a misnomer, because liturgy in and of itself is simply the work of the people in worship to God. The term liturgy, literally in Greek, the liturgia, means work for the people, but a better translation is public service or public work. The early Christians adopted the word to describe their principal act of worship, the Sunday service, which they considered to be a sacrifice. This service, liturgy, or ministry, is a duty for Christians as a priestly people by their baptism into Christ and participation in his high priestly ministry. It's also God's ministry or service to the worshipers. It is a reciprocal service. As such, many Christian churches designate one person who participates in the worship service as the liturgist. This liturgist may read the announcements or scripture, the call to worship, and the minister preaches and offers prayers and bless the sacraments. The liturgist can either be an ordained minister or a layperson, but the entire congregation participates in and offers the liturgy to God. In this understanding, my tradition, the Episcopal Church, has called me forth as an ordained priest to serve as the liturgist and minister in my congregation, St. Stephen's Episcopal Church in Longview. And as we look to our tradition and following a calendar that lays out the themes and focus of each part of the year, we begin anew in the season of Advent. Advent is a time of preparation, expectation, and hope. We know that on Christmas, we celebrate the arrival of the Christ child in this world. We celebrate the light of the world walking amongst us once more. And in order to prepare for that arrival, we take this season of Advent as an opportunity to pause, to slow down, to be quiet, 
to prepare our hearts and make room for Christ. This understanding of Advent certainly runs countercultural to the usual bustle and anxiety of the secular holiday season that has kicked off this past week with Thanksgiving and those secular capitalist consumerist holidays that we know and love of Black Friday and Cyber Monday. This year, however, we find ourselves in a different place as Advent begins. In the state of Washington, we're in the middle of a at least four-week period of additional restrictions to address the COVID pandemic that is spreading at exponential rates in our state and our country. These restrictions have altered our holiday plans, caused us to become disconnected once more or even more so than previously. Advent calls us to hope. Our hopes for large family gatherings, Christmas parties, and more have been dashed. Advent calls us to expectation, but every expectation we've had for this year has been smashed upon the rocks. Advent calls us to preparation, but the only preparations we can seem to agree on at the moment is stockpiling toilet paper. And yet, Advent arrives anyways. Because Christ will arrive anyways on Christmas. No matter what is going on in our lives or in the world, Christ always arrives on Christmas to bring light into the world, to share in our creation, to connect to us and to know our grief and sorrow when we experience loss, to know our joy and happiness when we experience love with one another. It is because of this reality this promise that is always fulfilled, that we welcome Advent this year in particular. We welcome this new liturgical year to recenter and refocus us in a season in this creation that feels in many ways on pause, stuck way back in March, and yet continually, perhaps relentlessly, moving forward. And in this particular season of Advent, we connect again to hope and expectation. As news continues to come out of promising vaccine trials, as an end to this long journey, this longest year ever feels attainable, even if it still is far off in the future. And in that spirit, I invite you to join me in this season of Advent by connecting once more to hope by allowing yourself to give into expectation, to do the work of preparation, so that when Christ comes among us once more, we are ready to cradle that baby child. can't talk about Christmas without talking about the biggest name in Christmas. Of course, I'm talking of Santa Claus. First, a warning. 
If you have little ones listening, I will be openly discussing certain aspects of Santa and our practice around his annual arrival. So you may want to pause now or have them go into the other room for the next few minutes. Okay, I remember the year that I understood Santa Claus was not physically delivering presents to my home. I remember understanding the role that parents play in this practice. And I distinctly remember the feeling of love that was wrapped up in the reality of this practice and how that sharing of love connected our family in ways tighter and more clearly than I had previously realized. And because of that experience, I want to unequivocally state that Santa Claus always makes a stop at our house, has always made a stop at our house for as long as I can remember, and will continue to always make a stop at our house, even when our children are grown. Perhaps that is surprising to you. It's not uncommon to hear messages from certain Christian leaders that downplay the significance and role of Santa who choose not to buy into the secretive nature of Santa Claus as a gift giver as it feels perhaps dishonest, or even choose to not speak of Santa because if you, well, simply rearrange the letters, well, it spells Satan. So why do I back Santa Claus? When it feels very much like a secular invention to celebrate the season apart from Jesus Christ? because that's not who Santa Claus is, nor who he was. And at this time, you can let children come back in to listen again, although I will be mentioning a legend that involves a murder, but it's resolved happily. The image of Santa Claus as a jolly old elf wearing a red suit and driving a sleigh of reindeer is somewhat of a modern invention. It's largely influenced by the poem, Twas the Night Before Christmas, originally published in 1823. But that's not the Santa Claus that I know and love. St. Nicholas, the Bishop of Myra, is a fascinating, inspiring, and sometimes outlandish early church leader, having lived between 270 and 343 CE. I wanna share the story of Nicholas with you today, and I take the following from the St. Nicholas Center an organization whose main goal is to share the truth about Santa Claus. I encourage you to seek them out at stnicholascenter.org. The true story of Santa Claus begins with Nicholas, who was born during the third century in the village of Patara in Asia Minor. At the time, the area was Greek and is now on the southern coast of Turkey. His wealthy parents, who raised him to be a devout Christian, died in, in an epidemic while Nicholas was still young. Obeying Jesus's words to sell what you own and give the money to the poor, Nicholas used his whole inheritance to assist the needy, the sick, and the suffering. He dedicated his life to serving God and was made Bishop of Myra while still a young man. Bishop Nicholas became known throughout the land for his generosity to those in need, his love for children, and his concern for sailors and ships. Under the Roman Emperor Diocletian, who ruthlessly persecuted Christians, Bishop Nicholas suffered for his faith, was exiled and imprisoned. The prisons were so full of bishops, priests, and deacons, there was no room for the real criminals, murderers, thieves, and robbers. After his release, Nicholas attended the Council of Nicaea in AD 325. 
He died December 6th, AD 343 in Myra and was buried in his cathedral church where a unique relic called manna formed in his grave. This liquid substance said to have healing powers fostered the growth of devotion to Nicholas. The anniversary of his death became a day of celebration, St. Nicholas Day, December 6th. Through the centuries, many stories and legends have been told of St. Nicholas's life and deeds. These accounts help us understand his extraordinary character and why he is so beloved and revered as protector and helper of those in need. One story tells of a poor man with three daughters. In those days, a young woman's father had to offer a prospective husband something of value, a dowry. The larger the dowry, the better the chance that a young woman would find a good husband. Without a dowry, a woman was unlikely to marry. This poor man's daughters, without dowries, were therefore destined to be sold into slavery. Mysteriously, on three different occasions, a bag of gold appeared in their home, providing the needed dowries. The bags of gold, tossed through an open window, are said to have landed in stockings or shoes left before the fire to dry. This led to the custom of children hanging stockings or putting out shoes, eagerly awaiting gifts from St. Nicholas. Sometimes the story is told with gold balls instead of bags of gold. That is why three gold balls, sometimes represented as oranges, are one of the symbols for St. Nicholas. And so St. Nicholas is a gift giver. One of the oldest stories showing St. Nicholas as a protector of children takes place long after his death. The townspeople of Myra were celebrating the good saint on the eve of his feast day when a band of Arab pirates from Crete came into the district. They stole treasures from the church of St. Nicholas to take away as their booty. As they were leaving town, they snatched a young boy, Basilios, to make into a slave. The emir, or ruler, selected Basilios to be his personal cupbearer, as not knowing the language, Basilios would not understand what the king said to those around him. So for the next year, Basilios waited on the king, bringing his wine and a beautiful golden cup. For Basilios's parents, devastated at the loss of their only child, the year passed slowly, filled with grief. As the next St. Nicholas feast day approached, Basilios's mother would not join in the festivity as it was now a day of tragedy. However, she was persuaded to have a simple observance at home with quiet prayers for Basilios's safekeeping. Meanwhile, as Basilios was fulfilling his task serving the emir, he was suddenly whisked up and away. St. Nicholas appeared to the terrified boy, blessed him and set him down at his home back in Myra. Imagine the joy and wonderment when Basilios amazingly appeared before his parents, still holding the king's golden cup. This is the first story told of St. Nicholas protecting children, which became his primary role in the West. Another story tells of three theological students traveling on their way to study in Athens. A wicked innkeeper robbed and murdered them, hiding their remains in a large pickling tub. It so happened that Bishop Nicholas, traveling along the same route, stopped at this very inn. In the night he dreamed of the crime, got up and summoned the innkeeper. As Nicholas prayed earnestly to God, the three boys were restored to life and wholeness. In France, the story is told of three small children wandering in their play until lost, lured, and captured by an evil butcher. St. Nicholas appears and appeals to God to return them to life and to their families. 
And so St. Nicholas is the patron and protector of children. Several stories tell of Nicholas and the sea. When he was young, Nicholas sought the holy by making a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. There, as he walked where Jesus walked, he sought to more deeply experience Jesus's life, passion, and resurrection. Returning by sea, a mighty storm threatened to wreck the ship. Nicholas calmly prayed. The terrified sailors were amazed when the wind and waves suddenly calmed, sparing them all. And so St. Nicholas is the patron of sailors and voyagers. Sailors claiming St. Nicholas as patron carried stories of his favor and protection far and wide. And St. Nicholas chapels and churches were built in many seaports, including locally in Tacoma and Portland. Other stories tell of Nicholas saving his people from famine, sparing the lives of those innocently accused, and much more. He did many kind and generous deeds in secret, expecting nothing in return. Within a century of his death, he was celebrated as a saint. Today, he is venerated in the East as wonder or miracle worker, and in the West as patron of a great variety of persons children, mariners, bankers, pawnbrokers, scholars, orphans, laborers, travelers, merchants, judges, paupers, marriageable maidens, students, children, sailors, victims of judicial mistakes, captives, perfumers. He is known as the friend and protector of all in trouble or need. Widely celebrated in Europe, St. Nicholas's feast day, December 6th, kept alive the stories of his goodness and generosity. In Germany and Poland, boys dressed as bishops begged alms for the poor and sometimes for themselves. In the Netherlands and Belgium, St. Nicholas arrived on a steamship from Spain to ride a white horse on his gift-giving rounds. December 6th is still the main day for gift-giving and merrymaking in much of Europe. For example, in the Netherlands, St. Nicholas is celebrated on the 5th, the eve of the day, by sharing candies thrown in the door, chocolate letters, small gifts, and riddles. Dutch children leave carrots and hay in their shoes for the saint's horse, hoping St. Nicholas will exchange them for small gifts. This practice of simple gift-giving in early Advent helps preserve a Christmas Day focus on the Christ child. It is these stories and traditions of St. Nicholas that inspires my own family's understanding of Santa Claus, what it means to practice gift-giving and receiving on Christmas. We mark the Feast of St. Nicholas, which is this coming Sunday, with simple candies and oranges to represent the gold bags given for the dowries, placed in shoes left out overnight at our doors. We continue this understanding of sharing from abundance in our practice of welcoming Santa Claus who leaves oranges and stockings for us. Perhaps your family has this tradition already. And also leaves gifts for us as a symbol of giving selflessly for another, of sharing in abundance with one another and with others, of giving with no expectation of receiving in return. It is this spirit of giving selflessly that we then connect back to our understanding of Christmas as the marker of Christ's arrival with us. For Christ himself is a gift, selflessly given to creation by God, a promise that will be fulfilled with no expectation that we will give anything in return. This is our inspiration in this season. And this is why we celebrate the legends of St. Nicholas and why we welcome Santa Claus to our house 
every year. Thank you for joining me today for Your Neighbor, a Priest. I look forward to joining you again in Season 2, coming to you on the first Monday of February 2021. Until then, stay home, stay healthy, mask up, be well, and God's unending, all-encompassing peace and love be with you all, especially in this season of Advent and Christmas. God bless. through Creative Commons licenses by the following artists appearing in order. Christmas is Coming by Maxco Music, maxcomusic.com. O Come, O Come, Emmanuel by John Sales from freemusicpublicdomain.com. Jingle Bell's Jazz Version by Yoshinori Tanaka, soundcloud.com slash Yoshinori hyphen Tanaka hyphen guitar. And We Wish You a Merry Christmas by Alexander Nakarada, serpentsoundstudios.com.